Hi, how's everyone doing? It's good to be here all together. It took me a second. I'm, this is the first time I'm going to do this from this guy. And while this is Pam's iPad, and I had to figure out how to unlock it. I'm a little, I'm not, that's not, technology's not my favorite thing. Thank you. Thank you. Isn't it fun? Like, now we're getting to the place where we can kind of do stuff together like this. Like, even just six months ago, like, high-fiving each other was like, COVID was like that really annoying kid in the background where you're like, I'm going to do this. And, like, he's in the background with his glasses, like, ha, you can't. Like, we're going to get together as a party. Ha, you can't. And, and he just ruined all of the fun. So it's kind of fun that we're slowly, slowly getting there. So it's good. Praise Jesus. Thank God. Will you stand as we read the Lord's word? Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 12. Some of your Bibles might have the little subheader where it's talking about the topic, and they might say, wisdom bestows well-being. Verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring your peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all of your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Before we sit here, I want us to think and ponder one thing. What did we hear here but a series of blessings, right? Peace, prosperity, favor, direction, health, wealth, and a father who delights in his child. Let's pray. Father, will you please lead us? Will you uh, open up your heavens tonight, Father? Holy Spirit, will you speak Will you guide this night? Will you direct this? There's nothing special about me. God, it's in spite of me that you are, are meeting with us here. And Father, I ask that your message and your word is clear, that we listen to you with open ears and open eyes. And Father, I pray that, that you just meet with us here tonight, that we have an encounter with you. King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus come. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So for some of you, this might be a familiar story. You're here in this room, and you've been invited by somebody who's invited you, right? Small group leader, probably, usually, or maybe a friend who introduced you to a small group. And maybe, like me, you have a friend who had dogged resolve to be your friend, like no matter what, they were going to be your friend. They were going to find something cool to do with you that you like to do as well, even though they usually don't do that thing you find out a year later. Maybe like me, that person followed you by the Loman Student Center, the UC, for you, till you were cornered and had to talk. You had no option. Like you guys were going to physically collide together and like bump into each other and it was going to be really awkward and strange, but you had to talk. 
Maybe like me, they stopped you every day in the mall area to ask you how your day was going. And the first few times, you're like, wow, you're really creepy. <laughs> it's good. Thanks. Yeah, it's pretty good. Maybe they invited you to so many things your first couple of weeks that you finally broke down and gave your phone number. And maybe you got invited to a lot more things after that <laughs> moment in time. And I think if you're being really honest like me, when you went to that first hangout, what was the reason you went? That's not a rhetorical question. Why did you go? People. Yeah. Me, personally, being a guy, it was food. That's, I mean, yeah. It was food. At this point in time, it didn't matter what kind of food, because if you were like me, you, you po'. Like, you don't have any money. It doesn't matter the food. It, you're hungry. And your body can hang, right? You're at an age where you can pretty much eat absolutely anything you want without very few repercussions. And your poor, poor bathroom will pay that price another day. And I, I just want to say, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, like, ragging on this. That is completely and absolutely normal. And at the beginning, it's healthy. It's a good place to start. It's a great place to begin with. If you're like me, you started there, and somewhere, somehow, if you're going to look back in your past of what happened and what occurred in your time here in college, something changed. Like, the gears just clicked. Like, on a bicycle, you switch to a second gear, and you don't actually know when, or you can't point to an exact time how. For me, it changed because my friends became my brothers, and they still are. But again, that alone is not what pulled me through some crazy moments, scary, life-altering stuff that happens to us as time goes on. My friends showed me a person, and they showed me Jesus. And if I had stayed for the food alone, my friends would eventually question if I wanted to be their friend at all, or was I just there for a, a hot dog and sweet tea? And I'm not going to lie, like we did, uh, we were hanging out this couple weeks ago, and it still gets me. Like, we made hot dogs over the fire, and we had just had drinks, and it was like, ah, this is cool. Like, we're drinking sweet tea and having hot dogs, and it still gets me to this day. You see, I believe that in this current day and age that we're living in, that if allowed, we can do this precise thing to God himself, and that we can separate the gift, the things that you've been given, from the giver the one giving those gifts. Now stay with me. We're going to look at some different aspects of this. So some of you, as I, may do this, and it shows its face in worship and service. I have played music. I'm a musician by trade, and I've played a, a long, long time. And it's very, very easy to click on to this thing and maybe go for like an emotion or a feel after you meet with the Lord. It's very, very easy to stay there and come for that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. It's supposed to be there. Thank God there's emotion, right? But it can't in and of itself be the thing. Now, don't get me wrong. This emotion that comes when you spend time with Jesus, it won't suffice. It's not going to carry you through a lifetime of trouble and burdens and hardships 
but it can come. And the truth is only Jesus will do that. Only Jesus can do that. Perhaps on the side of worship and service, it would be fitting to say that I have seen friends come and go because they did not get to join the worship team, or they didn't get to teach the lesson, or they didn't get to lead the Bible study. They didn't get the solo. They didn't move up in the ranks as fast as they wanted, and so they moved on. And it hurts me to see God utilized as a personal stepping stool to fame and position of authority. Can you imagine how much it hurts the heart of God? when he just wants your presence, but we want something from him. So when the goal is the gift and not the giver for worship and service, then the measure of success becomes something entirely different than meeting with God. And it eventually leads to a place that is just selfishness. If we call it what it is, that's what it is. And I say this as someone who's done all of these things that we're talking about. At points in time, I've been there and I've done that. Some of you may go into small group, or even this, this night right here, Chi Alpha, and you come for community. Again, it's good, but it can't stay there. Let's stay, follow me here. Do you come for community, or do you come because of brothers and sisters who have conviction? And as I said, when I first began, I, I, I came to school for the food, but what I didn't say was I stayed because I was lonely. And I've said this before here, but some of you guys know I was a homeschooler. So, like, I was that one kid, and, and no longer was the current book I was reading, like, my only friend, where I'm just, like, in a corner, like Gollum, just like, I'm not alone, <laughs> just reading away and, like, making friends with characters that don't really exist. Like, it was amazing. Like, no more staring at the wall. I didn't just have to be in my room. And, like, it sounds so lame, and I'm probably going to regret that this is recorded. But I would actually do that. I would get home after a long day and just be like, hmm, I did my homework. The window. <laughs> just look outside. It was so sad. It was so, so sad. If you're homeschooled, I'm not, I'm not putting it down. Trust me, I'm with you. I'm there. But there's some truth to that. There's some, definitely some truth to that. You can always tell a lonely person in a cafeteria because they just sit there by themselves watching everyone as if they're in timeout. Like, when you're lonely, the world is essentially your fishbowl. And you, like, sit in the cafeteria and just, like, tapping on the glass. You wish you could go inside, but you're on the outside. And you're like, ooh, that's a big one. Mm. Oh, he's longboarding. Oh, I want to do that one day. That's cool. And you just, like, stay in your head and you stay in that place. Did you know that you can count the bumps of popcorn on your popcorn ceiling? You can do it. I've done it. I've experienced that. Friendship, as sweet as it is, is not enough in and of itself. Is the conviction of those that showed me Jesus. Friendship, as sweet as it is, is not enough in and of itself. It was the conviction of those around me that showed me Jesus. And I saw, I saw men, grown men, spend hours praying that someone might see the Father, that another might have an encounter with God. I watched grown men weep over someone who was running fast and hard from the Lord. We all have those friends. It's like they, 
they see that one button that's covered with the light, and it's like, self-destruct, do not press, and you're just kind of lifting that, and you're like, yeah, uh, it'd be really fun to watch it happen. We do that in our lives sometimes. And I watch groups of men pray against that, pray for them, be there for them, give their own money and time, car rides, cars, that someone might have the chance to feel the love of the Lord in their life in that way. Whole vehicles, people would get together and just give someone a car because they needed it. How many of you do this one? This one is kind of one that I'm guilty of when I first came to college. You learn and you read and you acquire knowledge because you want the approval of men, not because you hunger for God himself. This was me as well. You remember a lonely homeschooler. My only friends were books. And so what was it for me but to look at the books that I was reading and say, ooh, this is an accomplishment. I have this knowledge. I can tell you a whole lot about, like, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff. It's really, really cool. I can tell you, it's, it's not that cool. It's interesting, and it's a wonderful pastime. But in and of itself, the knowledge is just knowledge. I wanted to read because I wanted to seem smart. If I'm being really, really, really honest, that's what it was. I wanted to have knowledge so I could raise my hand in a moment where someone said something and they needed some answer, and I could be like, hmm, did you know way back in such and such time? And when I started walking with God, I just shifted gears. I started doing this thing that I was doing in my regular life, and I switched, and I was like, I can do this for the Lord. I'll just put the Lord on that, and I'll put that label of God on it, and it's going to be wonderful. And it was not wonderful. <laughs> Take my word for it. <laughs> it didn't last, especially when I was reading the Bible, and I started reading books from old dead guys, and I started realizing that these books were reading me. And they pointed out that my idea of God was puny and was false in some instances. And they pointed out that it was an impotent. It was based on what he could give me and not who he was. And that word, that word impotent, that's the right word. As in, I'm not ashamed to say it, as, as embarrassing or as the thoughts that that brings to mind is, that that is the word. It's like Steve Rogers before the crazy like German dude pumped him full of G fuel and he just like popped like popcorn and all of a sudden had muscles and can like tear wood with his bare hands. That's what it was like for me when I was reading. It was like looking at something cool and having something that I wanted to say. But then I remembered the moment it broke. I was reading The Christ of Every Road by E. Stanley Jones. And I read that book in my dorm room. It's, it's a pretty good-sized book. And I could not put it down. It took me two days, and I was through the whole thing. And I read that thing in tears on my kitchen counter, hoping my roommate wouldn't come in because I was like a slobbering mess, like, oh, no. God is so good. Um, uh, it was, yeah, it was so good. It's one of those moments where it's like, it hurts so good. Yeah, it was a wake-up call. I think it's E. Stanley that says, um, we grow small, the greater we try to be. Something like that, yeah. Notice how in each of these things that I've listed, worship, service, community, and knowledge, that is possible dare I say, probable and likely, that we can get on in this thing. We can start taking a few steps into the water, and we can totally 
separate that gift and that giver. So what does that mean? We can pull out the feel that you get in worship. And you can pull out the recognition that you get from serving, the status. Especially like on a mission trip, guys and girls, you're, like, you're on a mission trip with that, you're that girl and you're like, oh my gosh, she's serving the Lord. She looks so holy. And then the, guy, the girls are all like looking at the guys and they're like, oh my gosh, they're lifting that palate for God. Look at their muscles. Like you can separate that out so easily and it's so subtle. And you can fill the holes and the gaps in your life. That loneliness, you can fill that with people. And it's always going to let you down. For learning, you can look good, you can look smart, because it kind of helps you feel smart to read so many things and have a word to say and always have a topic to talk about. But you cannot separate the work and will of God from Christ himself. And that's the point we're getting at here. I'm going to say that again because that's so worth saying. You cannot separate the work and will of God from Christ himself. A.W. Tozer talks of this concept, and he actually calls it the divided Christ. And this is it. It outlines how we manage to do this very thing with our walk with the Lord, with our relationship with church, with our relationship with serving, with Jesus himself. It's kind of a long quote. It'll be up here on the, on the slides. Much of our full gospel literature and much of our preaching tend to perpetrate a misunderstanding of what the Bible says about obedience and Christian discipleship. I think the following is a fair statement of what I was taught in my early Christian experience and before I began to pray and study in anguish over the whole matter. We are saved, this is what it's saying, this is what he's talking about. We, it's saying we are saved by accepting Christ as our Savior, and we are sanctified by accepting Christ as our Lord. Now, it's very subtle, but hang on to that idea. We are saved by accepting Christ as our Savior, and we are sanctified by accepting Christ as our Lord. He goes on to say, we may do the first without doing the second. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that in our day, we often hear the gospel appeal made this way. Come to Jesus. You do not have to obey anyone. You do not have to give up anything. Just come. Get your foot in that door. Come and believe in Him as Savior. And the fact that we hear this everywhere does not make it right. To urge men and women to believe in a divided Christ is bad teaching, for no one can receive a half or a third or a quarter of the divine person of Christ. When I first read this, when I first heard this, it was like a kick in the gut. It was like a gut check of just like, oh, that's so true. It's so easy to do this. What is this like? Okay, so when I married Pam, I didn't like sign a contract saying that I would care for her on Tuesdays and Thursdays and that I would be faithful on weekends only. No, I promised to be faithful all of the time out of love. I did not say that I would love and adore her left side but not her right, that I would take her nose and leave her ears, that I would love her left eye but hate her right eye. No. It's all or nothing. Do you see that idea, that concept? 
It really is all or nothing. And this concept of a divided Christ that says Jesus can be our Savior and not your boss is completely foreign to the message and the words of Jesus himself into all of Scripture. So for us to believe that he can be our Savior and not our boss, it's a lie. It really is. So like what we learned a while ago, salvation is a restored, redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. Pam talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Like what we learned there. I'm going to say that one more time because that's so good. Salvation is a restored, redeemed, ongoing, genuine friendship with God. What is that describing but relationship? And not like a temporal or like worldly relationship, but one to the God who lives inside of you. It's making him a person. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Some of your translations will actually say, in you. You're the temple. We're the home. And that's why Jesus came, so that he could be here with us, in us, amongst us. And is, it is this relationship with him that you bind yourself. That's what we learned last week. Doulos, Scroggins talked about that, the love slave, that bond servant of laying down your rights and saying, I, you are king of kings, you are lord of lords, you are the most holy, worthy person to rule this thing. I submit to you. So what is the reward, you might ask? If we're talking about some other concepts where we can kind of switch gears and go to a different place here, what what is that reward? And it's simple. It's Jesus. And I know that's like the super churchy answer. If you're in youth group, like you, you'd get two points right now and a, like a hundred church bucks. So you get that bouncy ball or something. I don't know what they do now. I never went to youth group, so I'm sorry. Jesus is the very thing that we desire and work for. But what about the blessings? What about those things that we just read? Peace, prosperity, favor, direction, wealth, health, and a father that delights in his son. If you open your Bibles and go back to that verse, Proverbs 3, we're going to break this down a bit. Now, here's what I believe. If you're like me, what I did was I flipped the script. I went backwards. And I would take it, and I would start with the blessing because God did this. I wanted this thing because that thing. And it looked something like this. It might be, I wanted favor and, and good success in the sight of God and man. So I'll be steadfast in love and faithfulness. I, I wanted to be wise and, and I wanted healing and I wanted health. So I'll trust in the Lord. I wanted my, sounds funny. We don't have barns now, but I wanted plenty. I wanted my barns to be full, overflowing. So I'll honor God with my wealth. I'll tithe. But do you see how it's such a subtle change of, of reason why? It becomes transactional. Well, I put the penny in the machine. Why isn't it giving me the thing? And we see that the reward is actually Jesus himself and that we cannot flip this. It won't work. It never will. 
Because if you don't seek that relationship, an encounter with a man, you'll never meet him or get a glimpse of him. And so when we write this and we say that God's teaching, verse 1, his, his teaching and His commandments are actually for our own good. And then we'll have peace. That God is actually loving and faithful, so He wants us to look like Him. He wants us to be loving and faithful. And then He'll bring us favor. That when we trust the Lord with all of our heart and we don't say, I'm boss, I know what I'm doing and I don't need you. And don't lean on your own understanding that he's going to actually be able to direct your paths. And you just go down the line. You want health. Laws are descriptions of reality. God's laws are descriptions of reality. If we keep sinning and, and doing things that are going to hurt us, it's not going to be good for us. It's not that we have this man over us with a stick saying, ooh, do the thing or else I'm going to hit you. No. It's that if we do the thing, it physically will kill us. And he's pleading with us to come and not do that anymore. And lastly, that God corrects those he loves. If he loves us, he guides us. Like a father guiding his son by the hand, walking with him side by side. Winky Prattney has a quote. We are not called to trust in Christ's officers or Christ's works, but in Christ himself. Salvation is not a gift of eternal life distinct from Christ. It is Christ himself. Salvation is not a gift of eternal life distinct from Christ. It is Christ. It's that relationship. And I'm worried because right now that's kind of like a buzzword. If you go to your, like, ministries in general, like, oh, relationship, relationship. And I don't want that to cheapen. So I'm going to say it again because it's worth saying. And I need you to apply this to someone in your life. Who's someone in your life that has loved you? That they're with you thick and thin. That you can actually go through some pretty crummy stuff and they're the person you can talk to. Picture that. Get that in your mind. And now picture someone that's perfect. Someone that loves you more than you love yourself. Picture that type of relationship. And that's Jesus. In those moments where you were standing in your sadness and your loneliness, in depression and anxiety, he's right there. He's beside you. He's the prize. And relationship will, with him will bring these other things, but they're not the goal. The Lord is himself. It was after a girl prayed, use me, use me, Lord, that when she finally got the answer from God, that many want to be used from the Lord, but not many want to be my friend. Now let's reverse that relationship. How would you feel if you were only valued by what you could offer the God, what you could offer God, by the, the things that you have to give? If we were suddenly assigned token values or rankings, much the way that we ascribe points in basketball or rebounds, 
How would you feel if God treated us that way? If he did, I would be pretty low on that totem pole. But he doesn't. So I ask the question, why do we treat him that way sometimes? And this is indeed another way of looking at the topic. I feel the Lord's been speaking over us this whole semester, and that's lordship. It's a different angle of it, but it still is lordship. So we're called to seek the giver who wants to gift us, but we must first surrender and call him Lord and Savior. And the ability to be with us was God's goal. The ability to come beside us, to come in our midst, like Corinthians 13, that that's his goal because he wanted to be with you. And every time I get, I get older, now that Gabriel's here, I can't tell you, I can have like the worst day and he'll just be there like cooing in his swing. And I'm like, oh, I just want to sit with you. You're so cute. He could be like, he could have just thrown up on me. And I'm still like, oh, you're cute. I just want to be by your side. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. And Jesus is just reflecting the will of God. The Father, he wants to be by our side. The Holy Spirit wants to speak with you. He wants to wake up and have coffee with you. He wants to walk to class with you. Not because of anything you offer, but because you are you. And he loves you. If I could have the band to come back. We're going to close here in worship. And I don't want this, I think it's fitting given this topic and given what we are going through. I don't want us to stay in a place of mopiness or sadness. But I do think it's fitting to do a heart check, to do a gut check, and to just spend a little bit of time in prayer asking the Lord, where have we gotten transactional with him? Where have we sought his gift more than him? I remember the day that I got my first guitar from my parents. And like, I was so, so excited. I played that thing for hours. And I think I might have only told them thank you like a couple times. And it just flew past me. It was like, looking back at it now, that moment kind of marked my whole pathway, my future. And it was such a small thing, but for them to do that for me, I should have said thank you more. <laughs> so why I say that is because where are those moments in your life right now? Will you ask the Lord, what are the things that you need to say thank you for? The things that you need to come to him humbly and just say, okay, I'm here for you, not for what you give me, but thank you for what you give me. But you're the goal, not the thing. So will you stand with me as we pray? I encourage you after we pray to just seek the Lord, come to the altar. 
then just let him talk. He will. Jesus, thank you, Father, for, for allowing us to meet together. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can worship you, Father. That in your spirit, you can move amongst us. As this team plays and they're anointed, that we feel your presence. Thank you, God, that it has a feeling. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, I just ask and I pray that we never let that feeling be the goal. God, I pray and I ask that in our service, we don't let our distinction or our status be the goal. Jesus, will you help us in our community that we not let our friendships be the goal, but that you give us friendships to walk through life together for the time that we are here in this place. And we say thank you for those friendships. But that chiefly and most of all, you are the friend we seek. Lord, I ask that as we learn about you, as we study your word and your way, Father, that we do so to know your character and your nature, to know what you're like and to get a glimpse, as small as it might be, of what the rest of eternity is going to be like when this whole thing is over. Father, will you write our motives Will you speak to us? And God, I ask that everyone here, for each of us, me included, that we leave here changed. That we exit this room different than when we entered. And that as we walk out, we can say that we are closer to you because you are you and you are here. You are our God, our friend, our lover, our peacemaker, restoring us. Will you restore us tonight, Father? Fill us anew and give us a glimpse of your love. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.